Thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do, the podcast where I, your host, Deader Dennis Maller, speak to artists and entertainers about their day jobs. And on this edition of the podcast, we are speaking more with artists and entertainers, particularly the day job, of course, surrounding about around this whole COVID-19 crisis that we are currently in. I am speaking with comedian and podcaster Ken Reed, who also works in the medical field. He is uh, He works for a company that helps represent and protect Medicaid members, uh, people who are in Medicaid. And it is a very important thing to talk to somebody who's in the health insurance industry because uh, we are, especially me, are concerned on what the healthcare industry is going to look like after this. I mean, it's a mess right now. Uh, luckily, his company is there to protect the interests of their members who are on Medicaid. So we'll talk a lot about that and you'll hear it. Um, and I think it's good that we heard po- what is a positive voice. Um, and positive stories about what's going on in the industry and that there is a company that is trying to do the best they can for the members instead of just, you know, I bring up early in the conversation, I brought up, you know, how many insurance companies basically tried to bail on their customers when Katrina happened. Um, and it's nice to see that somebody's not doing that, but we talked a lot about that. We talked about what the state of comedy is right now and our opinions with the whole crisis going on and some of him as him as a podcaster, some of the hurdles that he's had to overcome to try and just continue to keep doing his show. So I thought it was a fun and good conversation. In fact, Ken and I could have just sat here for hours talking. We are friends. We have a lot of similar interests. Uh, I cut out a lot of our conversation about tech and toys and stuff like that because it was just too much. We could go on for just hours and hours, he and I, talking about those subjects right there. So, But it was a fun, interesting conversation, some jokes, and I think it is something you will enjoy and maybe make you breathe a little bit easier during this entire thing that's going on. So please enjoy my conversation with comedian and podcaster and Medicaid insurance worker, Ken Reed. Let's talk about this because we're, we're, we're doing the, the personal conversations. You've had an interest in coping mechanism going to quarantine with putting up uh, some videos online. Yeah, I mean, I have a bunch of crap in my house, <laughs> uh, but just, you know, years of, um, I always say that I, I don't drink and I've never had a drug. But um, if every beer you most people ever had was instead a toy that they had in their house, uh, <laughs> that's essentially what I have. <laughs> so, you know, I'm sitting in my office right now and just around me is I'm surrounded by all kinds of junk. And I was bored and just opened up a thing that I had and filmed it and then people liked it. So now I just do one of those every day and they keep getting uh, progressively more elaborate. <laughs> now, all the things that you've been opening, are those things that have not been opened before? Where you're like, oh, here's something I should show people that I've already been playing around with. It's a mixture. It's mostly stuff that hasn't been opened before. Like I have, which your listeners can't hear, but you can see like, this is a desktop croquet set. <laughs> I haven't even opened that yet. I just bought that on a whim one day. Uh, you know, I got, I got a, this is a, a replica Superman uh, phone booth that changes from Superman to Clark Kent. That's awesome. Like that that was just like sitting there, you know. So there's a uh, I got um I got a very tiny accordion. Uh, so you know, well, you're a musician. Just, can you play the accordion? Uh, it's very hard. Not well. I can make <laughs> it make sounds. You know, I just I my vice is purchasing stuff, and uh, you know, like a battle cat ring that you can make into cringe or 
uh, if you have the different rings attached. <laughs> <laughs> Double ring? <laughs> yeah, which from I don't He-Man. even wear rings. Is that Battle uh, Cat so, from He-Man? Yeah, He-Man, yeah. Um, so, you know, I was just like, I have it if I'm not going to open it now when, uh, <laughs> and I'm not emotionally attached to the stuff. So it's like, if I film it and open it, I got the thrill out of it and then I can just get rid of it. There you go. Yeah. Um, so uh, you're notorious for going to flea markets and estate sales and stuff. Is that where you find most of the stuff? Or if you switch to, since the quarantine <clears throat> is just perusing eBay and just having a stockpile of Amazon and eBay boxes at the front door. It's a little bit of both. I mean, I used to, I mean, I always bought stuff online anyway, um, but in the nice weather, I do really love going to flea markets and estate sales, which I won't be doing in the foreseeable future because it's the apocalypse. So yeah, I've been buying a lot of stuff on eBay or Etsy or Poshmark or stuff like that. And I have some survivor's guilt because I'm employed. Uh, No offense to you, Dennis. Uh, (laughs) It's it's interesting that you use that word because I was talking to Andrew Mayer to uh, help promote his new album release. And I use that exact phrase. I'm like, this might not be the right phrase, but do you feel survivor's remorse? He goes, that's definitely not the right phrase, but I know what you're saying. No, it is is sort of the right phrase in that like I've, I've sort of always worked from home or at least for the last 12 years. And so in a lot of ways, nothing's changed for me. And so, but as a result, um, not that I have like boatloads of money, but, uh, and I'm terrible with it. And I just know that I'm going to die in debt, but I feel (laughs) obligated to buy stuff from people. So like a lot of the stuff I buy, um, will be from like artists or, you know, people who make things or, you know, small independent sellers or little stores, or, you know, I have a, complete set of tiki barware in the other room that I've bought from various tiki restaurants and bars across the United States. Cause they're not open, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, just to like throw some money towards them. So it's a lot of that stuff too. Yeah. I, the first couple of weeks of quarantine, I was still going into the office and <clears throat> yeah. Uh, well, I, I volunteered to be the one to go in the office cause we needed at the time, somebody in the building. And I volunteer because it's easier for me to go. Hey, I'm more qualified than some of my other coworkers uh, when it came to the job. Um, and no offense to them, but also it was easier for me to come in living in Austin, going to um, to um, Seaport. Because yeah. one coworker works takes the T from um, from Chelsea, another one takes the T uh, takes the commuter rail from like Salisbury or something like that, somewhere up high up on the North Shore. Um, and when they changed like the T hours and stuff, he wouldn't be able to get there early. So right, right. I was like, it's easier for me. And I'll, you know, just, I'd rather be the one to do it than, you know, I'm the one who's going to, f- who'd rather fall in the grenade. Um, right. So while I was working and now having a job where I actually make a living, I was doing the same thing for the first two weeks, just donating like a bunch of my friends yeah. back in Baltimore who are bartenders. There was a, uh, a donation thing. So I donated right to all of them. Uh, people I haven't seen in like five years, but I felt obligated and purchasing things and donating to the uh, New England Comedy Sunshine Fund and stuff like that. Um, so I felt the exact same thing. It was like, all right, well, while I'm working and still have money, let me, you know, put, you know, do the same. And then as soon as all those PayPal things cleared, they're like, all right, cool. You're furloughed. We'll see you in August. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck, I could have used that couple hundred dollars back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and I do that. All, I've, I think I've been unemployed for like maybe three months since I was 12. Um, but, uh, you know, aside from that, those months, I, you know, I'm not 
pat myself on the back because if people, you know, know about charity, it doesn't count. But, um, <laughs> you know, I always give to like GoFundMes and all that kind of stuff anyway. Uh, so I've just been like hyper activated with it. Um, to, to my own detriment sometimes, but, uh, you know, it's what I would hope people would do for me and also just, you know, I have it. So I do. Um, yeah. And you're not spending it on beer. So exactly. Um, all right. So you started mentioning about the job you're working at home. Um, and it really, nothing really has much changed for you working from home. No, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, the function hasn't changed at all. So it's, uh, you know, more people are remote now, so I have to deal with their uh, hurdles and their learning curve for working from home. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's pretty much my day is the same. Yeah. How are we two months into this apocalypse and people still haven't figured out how to use Zoom? I've realized it's funny to me. Like I someone on a call the other day was like, oh, I can't wait till we get back into the office. And I said, I'll be perfectly happy to never have to go into the office ever again <laughs> for anything. And they were completely shocked. And I realized that, you know, a, a lot of people, their workplace is their social life. Yeah. And a lot of people, not that their home life is horrible, but they like to get out of their house and get away from their family, I think sometimes. And so work is sort of a reprieve and I don't care about that. <laughs> I've kind of been practicing for this for like yeah. decades. You, you've been slowly becoming more and more of a, of a hermit um, at home uh, over the years that I've known you. Um, and you were pretty much shut in when I first moved here to Boston and met you. And I think it's just been slowly, you've been slowly, slowly, like you said, preparing for this. Now the difference is with your wife, she was not a home at uh, work from home type of person. Has that Ch uh, with her being home more often has that changed anything with the relationship it did the first couple of weeks but then i murdered her okay there you go um so quiet. no so she actually got laid off before the holidays and oh, I'm sorry. so it was uh the end of the year was like an absolute nightmare 2019 was bad and i thought that was the height of it but then obviously things have gotten worse um <laughs> 2020 but, has shown you up yeah yeah but she ended up literally getting a new job hired for a new job like april i'm not april uh february 1st to start like march 1st so uh or march like 15th or something so she started a new job remotely <laughs> that wasn't intended <laughs> to be a remote job so she so um you know and she didn't have like a work laptop yet so she's working with her what she has but you know we set up the guest room as an office for her so in the morning she goes upstairs and she's up there all day and i see her at lunch and i see her at five o'clock and it's it's fine um you know i i ran some uh some uh category seven uh <laughs> wire up from the internet upstairs and into this room so the wi-fi is not a problem and uh we're fine perfect all right uh, so let's since we've talked about the, the the stipulations of the job, the reason we want to talk to you is because you work in the healthcare industry, yeah. but not obviously you're not a doctor or a nurse because you can't. What do, do you those mean? Remotely. What do you mean obviously? Because <laughs> you can't do those remotely. I don't know. I think if my if my doctor had an applause sign be behind him at all times, I'd be worried about how serious he took the job. But Fair. you work in the healthcare industry, but you work in the insurance side of that, which I'm sure yeah. is. Um, which is also very important to the industry, be uh, given everything that's going on with you know uh, healthcare and insurance and all this stuff. But what specifically is your job? I've worked in health insurance, Medicaid specifically, since two thousand six, and I've had a bunch of jobs uh, from marketing to 
claims operations. But for the last three, no, four or five years, I've worked in uh, Medicaid compliance, which is sort of reviewing contracts, reviewing payments, reviewing things that we do and policies and procedures and making sure everything is correct. And then instituting like corrective action plans if stuff has gone wrong. What are the, what is something that's going to go wrong that you'd have to correct as an example? Uh, say for example, that we providers were sending us claims and we were paying every single claim at $1 for six months. Okay. So I'd have to go in and say, what the hell's going on? We'd figure out what the problem was. We'd have to document what went wrong and then how they're going to mitigate that. And then that also would incorporate like notifying the state and their communications progress, you know, uh, program for the providers and how they're going to. So like the whole top to bottom, how you fix this problem, what happened, how you diagnosed it, and then uh, monitoring for three, six, eight months to make sure that it's still working. Okay. So it could be anything. So mostly your job, you're dealing with the healthcare providers and not necessarily the clients of your insurance company, correct? Uh, it's rarely the members. Yeah. For the most part, it's it's just making sure everything is running smoothly for the members. So like, say, for example, members don't get ID cards. They just, no one got an ID card for two weeks. So I have to see what what the hell happened. And we have an obligation with our contract with the state that they have to get, you know, an ID card within a certain amount of days that they're enrolled. So if that's not happening, now we're out of compliance with our contract. It's also not good for the members because they don't have a card. So I have to go figure out what, where the process broke, document the whole thing, mitigate it, and then make sure it doesn't happen again and inform the state about like the volume, how many people were impacted. So yeah, it's, it's not so much, um, direct uh, interaction with members but it it ultimately they're the they're the beneficiary yeah and that's sometimes working in medical insurance there is a problem with be you know morality and eth ethic ethics of what you're doing uh, or just working in that industry and luckily it seems that you know your morality is clear because you're fighting on your your job is to protect the members and the people who have it instead of the other way around where you're like, well, we need to protect the interests of the, of the hospital or stuff like that. No, your job is to help protect the interests of the members, which again, how I'm sure gives you a clear conscience of the kind of work that you do. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it, and we're Medicaid too. So all of our funding is taxpayer dollars. So we're also the steward of taxpayer dollars to make sure that, you know, fraud isn't happening or that we're, um, you know, paying for things that are necessary, but not paying for things that are superfluous and uh, wasting money um, in that we're kind of getting the best bang for our buck because Massachusetts has the highest insurance coverage rate of any state. We have uh, something like a 96 or 97% coverage because of the, um, it was called Commonwealth Care 10 years ago when it started or 12, 13 years ago, which is what the ACA is based on. Um, so yeah, just making sure that everyone, uh, that the that the program continues as well. And now since all of this happened, how has COVID-19 changed things at your work? In some ways it's slower because we, like all elective procedures and sort of routine stuff has gone away for the most part. Uh, in other ways, it's more panicked than all hands on deck because we get a lot of regulations and new laws passed in the state that we have to, as compliance, digest and make sure get implemented correctly. So in some ways, it's busier for that amount. Uh, for example, 
telemedicine isn't necessarily wasn't necessarily covered by all insurance companies. And that's literally what you and I are doing right now. But I would be a doctor and I'd go, oh, Dennis, have that, you know, checked out that huge uh, bleeding gash on your head right now, Um, (laughs) which incidentally, you should probably have checked out. But uh, that there was no real uh, edict from the state that that had to be covered until this. And now it is. So I have to make sure that we're covering it to the standard that they say we have to, and that everything runs smoothly and that sort of stuff. So there's some new services that are covered or like a COVID-19 test. I have to make sure that that if someone bills us for that, uh, it pays smoothly um, or that a member isn't denied that um, if they want it. Going forward after all this, do you think a lot of these things will stay in effect or do you think that they'll roll back some of this stuff after we go back to normality, if that is even a thing? I mean, honestly, we won't ever go back to normality. Uh, And, you know, the other part of my job is that I have to read a lot of projections and I I read a lot of clinical data and uh, claims data. And, you know, frankly, it's pretty terrifying. It's going to be a long time. But things like telemedicine aren't going to go away. I think that from all industries, we're realizing that we can do many things remotely that people were reticent to enact before. So there's a lot of functions in all businesses that work from home now that never would have been allowed to work from home before. And I think businesses will realize that they can. So I think they'll have a lot more remote work in general. You'll have a lot more things like telemedicine. You'll have a lot more things like remote interviews and that sort of stuff, just because you can. Um, so I think that won't go away. And and the, the medical procedures won't go away either, because if they're needed, they're needed. Uh, well, obviously, yeah, the medical procedures, like the physical stuff is going to probably stay the same. But um, when I was working in traffic uh, reporting a couple years ago, what I started noticing when I moved to Massachusetts is when it snowed, everything is chaos because people still had to go to work. They weren't allowed to take snow days or this and that, whatever. And then within two years, you know, we were preparing for a huge snowstorm. We're like, well, here comes the chaos. And then nothing, quietness. Yeah. yeah. And it's because in just the span of two years, telecommuting and working from home became so much more easier than it, than it is, you know, than it was just the previous year. And now that was, uh, I'll say four years ago. Five years ago when that happened, and we noticed a huge change in traffic and snow and bad weather and stuff like that. And I think we were all going to, you know, all technology was going towards this where telemedicine, working from home and stuff started becoming more and more ubiquitous and more and more easier for people. Um, I'm assuming just this pandemic pretty much expediated all of that stuff. Do you feel that that, that that's the same with a lot of the medicine, a lot of the change of procedures that your company has had to enact. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even for the snow stuff, we, I think two years ago had a new policy that like the company would sometimes be closed if, if the weather was bad. Now the company never closes. So if there's a snow event, you either work from home or you take a sick day because everyone's expected to be able to do that. So it, which isn't a bad thing. And it'll be the same with this. I think, you know, people are, have more options for their ability to work. Now, that being said, those are very white collar options and it's a privilege to be able to do that. And it's been interesting and sad and somewhat heartening to see, hopefully people waking up and realizing how much we rely on, blue collar physical people to do the things that we need every day, like physically work 
in a restaurant, in a, in a bar delivering mail, uh, you know, at a supermarket, like those people will never have the option to make a living remotely. And those are literally the most important people working currently. And we're still not really recognizing or rewarding them for what they're doing. Yeah, and one of my problems with the just to take a side note away from jobs with this whole pandemic thing is, you know, we're 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 to, you know, and I'm not going to take any glory away the people who still have to go to work and you know the blue collar jobs and stuff that are physical and people still have to go out and do these things. A lot of us are looking at them as as heroes, and not to say that they're not, but I feel like the people who are saying they're heroes are more likely the type of people who would not have paid attention to them prior to all of this stuff before. Well, well, calling them a hero is an easy way to dismiss what they're doing. You're you're not taking any responsibility for the privilege that you have not having to do that. And you're going, oh, wow, they're a hero. Anyway, back to my life. Yeah. Instead of really having to acknowledge what they do. It's the same thing people do with the military. Yeah. And uh, I, I think uh, the, the phrase that I just came up with in my head for this, and maybe I'll use this or maybe I'll just get crucified for saying this, but... Um, talking about how the blue collar people are all here is then going back not, not acknowledging your own privilege or stuff like that, I guess is more like blue collar mandingoing. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's the people who will be like, Oh, thank, thank you hero. And then they'll go, you know, bitch out a 17 year old working at an ice cream stand because they have to wait for 10 minutes to get their mint chip and, or they didn't follow the rule. Cause yeah, they didn't see the tweet that said, please order one hour in advance. Yeah, that drives yeah. me insane. And that always has. I mean, I several times a year will be in a in a store and someone will be in a dickhead and I'll humiliate them in front of the public because yeah. they should be because everyone will just ignore it. I mean, I don't know how many times I've been at a supermarket or a store and the person in front of me is is belittling and yelling at the cashier over something stupid, usually arguing about two dollars or something. And I'll throw a twenty dollar bill in their face and go here get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And, you know, partly just cause I don't feel like waiting anymore. And partly cause I just wanted them to know that's not okay. They always take the money by the way, and always immediately leave. And, you know, when I was 19, I would have punched them instead, but <laughs> it's, it's terrible to me that even given a thing like this at the gravity of a global pandemic like this, you're, you're not seeing those people behave any differently. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. It's just, it's given them more free reign to be terrible people, essentially. So, but uh, going back to to the job and everything, I know uh, a lot of the insurance industry and uh, oh, housing insurance changed a lot after uh, Katrina, especially obviously in the South and in the hurricane belt and stuff Flood like that. Flood insurance and Flood insurance God and all and, that. Yeah. Um, so that industry changed and had to adapt. Do you think your industry? This is going to be to the healthcare industry, the Katrina that changes a lot of things, not so much just where you work, but the industry in total, where the industry kind of shits on people a little bit, the health insurance industry. Um, obviously we've talked about how beneficial your company is to people, but the, do you think this will change? Um, especially with when we're looking at a lot of talk is that uh, right now in society is healthcare shouldn't be attached to a job. Do you think that this pandemic may help, make that conversation and that reality a little more easier? Uh, it may. I mean, again, I work for Medicaid, which is for, you know, low income, no income people. So it's not a private industry. It's, it's a, um, a not-for-profit industry, but the, you will, I think start seeing, and I mean, everything can change. Who knows 
you know, whatever happens in November. But for all the people that crapped on uh, Obamacare, which is the ACA, which is literally a federalized version of what we have in Massachusetts, it's very effective and it's good and it could be tweaked and it needs some tweaking to work on a national level. But I think what you're seeing is a lot of states who are realizing that they're going to need to enhance their Medicaid coverage or expand their Medicaid coverage in the way that their state manages their own health services because the federal government is is not only sometimes not going to help them, but they might actively fuck them over. And we're seeing things like, um, you know, the National Guard needing to be used by the states in order to protect PPE and medical equipment that they purchased because the federal government is coming in and stealing it. Yeah. You know, so we're, we're going to see, I think, states, at least smart states, that are uh, strengthening their coverage in their medical services at the state level for their their citizens of that state. Uh, as far as national changes, I don't think you're going to see any changes with the for-profit healthcare industry. Uh, you know, they're going to pay for the minimum of what they have to pay for. Uh you know, it's you will see changes potentially with for-profit hospitals because you're seeing tons of layoffs of doctors and nurses. And the reason is that without the revenue generators that they normally get, which is like routine visits, uh, elective services, they actually, those businesses aren't making money. <laughs> so I think you'll see them try to diversify or change their model a little bit about how they make money, uh, which could be good. It could be bad. I don't know what that will look like, but you'll see some redundancy built in and some uh, innovation, let's say, which could be good or bad in order to protect themselves from something like this, where they no longer have those revenue streams that they did have. Well, that's an interesting thing that you brought up that I hadn't even considered that. I would just assume like, let's say a plastic surgeon. Obviously, they're not working right now because clearly plastic surgery is an elective surgery that should not be happening during this and probably shouldn't happen as much as it does, but that's a different conversation to have. So you're seeing uh, people in those industries are being uh, laid off instead of being re-diverted to help in other parts of the hospital that are uh, overwhelmed and, and functioning. Yeah. And I mean, elective surgery isn't just things like cosmetic surgery. Elective surgery is essentially any surgery that's non-emergency. Oh, yeah. No, so, I'm currently suffering so from not being able to have a quote-unquote elective surgery because I have a giant abdominal hernia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah. Mean, a hernia, tumor, and, you know, benign tumor removal. Um, you know, you might have a sebaceous cyst that needs to, like stuff that is medically necessary, um, but is elective because it's not an emergency. Yeah. And and that that um sadly is is what they have to do. And you're going to see from the other side too. I think there's a lot of people who rightfully won't go out of their house or go to a medical facility uh, if they feel like they don't quote unquote have to, because it's not an emergency because they don't want to be exposed to God knows what. And, and that also is hurting things. So it's not just the facilities canceling or rescheduling these things. I think it's people as well. Yeah. And um, just because you, uh, work with in an industry that is more customer or member focused. I shouldn't say customer member focused. Um, are you seeing people? Or are you hearing stories from members who are too afraid to go for something that may be more important because they're like, well, 
I didn't want to go because I didn't want to get the COVID. Yes and no. I mean, in the the population that we serve, uh, there's there's a lot of care management outreach that needs to happen anyway because they don't necessarily get the maintenance services that they need. So for example, you know, there's a lot of intervention that has to happen to make sure that people take their diabetes medication or that they're managing their asthma or they're managing other health issues uh, to begin with. So those people, you know, we really have to actively continue to do those things because any level of increased discouragement is, is going to cause issues. And it could also, people who aren't necessarily in a red zone of that sort of stuff, it, the, the addition of the terror of potentially getting a, a deadly virus in a medical facility is making those issues worse. Yeah, no, it's great that you work in an industry that is, you know, focused on the people who need it the most, especially when we hear so many bad, terrible things about the healthcare uh, industry and what they're doing. And this is a time where they are more than needed. Um, and that, you know, at least somebody is doing something good for the people that need it most. So there's that. Um, switching real quick, because we are on a podcast and we briefly talked about podcasts. You are notoriously known for banking episodes. And, you know, when you go to L.A., you'll record yeah. 20, 25, 30 interviews and have interviews yeah. for months in advance. Since this quarantine has happened, have you ran out of banked in- interviews yet? Yes. So I was in L.A. for the first three weeks in March, which is, you know, normally I go out in like the spring and the fall and bank episodes. Uh, And this started to kick off like halfway through the trip. So I think I only got six episodes in that trip where I had planned for like 20 something. So, uh, yeah, I'm out. So I've been doing them remote. So that's been a learning curve and not what I like doing and not what I'm particularly well-skilled at, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, there's, there's a learning curve that even I still have to get 450 episodes into the show <laughs> seven years in. Uh, it's still uh, you know a new skill set that I've had to develop in, in different tech as well. And uh, that's been interesting, but I haven't missed an episode yet still. So That's good. Yeah, I feel like I, you know, I built this whole studio at home so I can do things like remote interviews and then I wasn't doing them. And then when this happened, um, I realized there's so much more easier technology out there, like what we're using right now, Squadcast, um, that makes it a little more easier for people. And even though I have a huge, overly complicated setup to do all this stuff, I can. So if somebody doesn't want to use Squadcast and I can just talk to them on a regular phone call, I can do that and make it easier and stuff like that. Yeah, it's not so much on our side. It's for... uh how easy can you make it for the civilian yeah. on the other side to record where you can still get a decent quality sound which, without making them, you know, having to tech support them through a whole bunch of complicated stuff yeah. that people don't want to have to do. And I did a webinar that I recorded and put on my YouTube for a bunch of NPR podcasters uh, specifically for them of, all right, here's ways to do remotes to make it easier on you and maybe make it easier on the people that, that you're, you're working with. And what, here's the the problem is I gave them all this good tech and then I was consulting with other friends about what things I should talk about and they kept naming all these other types of recording things. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not going to go over nine different digital audio workstation softwares. I'm going right. to go over the cheap, easy, and free ones because this is more focused on how you can make things easier for your guests than here. Well, the principle and the principle is the same with all of them. It's just, you know, minor yeah. differences here and there. Yeah, there. Um, and so 
I went through this whole thing, and the the biggest question people kept coming is like, how do we make other people's internet more stable? I'm like, you can't. <laughs> Without going to their house and giving them a better router, you can't. Why are you asking me? What Did you think I was going to be an internet expert? <laughs> I'm going to be an expert in, 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 in internet fiber optics. That's an interesting thing that I've noticed, though, too, is when you see these TV shows where, you know, the, it, all the guests are remote now on television, and this is major network billion-dollar television. A lot of it looks and sounds like garbage and at a minimum sounds like garbage and people don't really care that much. So, uh, you know, we'll put in a lot of time and effort to make the best sound quality possible for our shows. Whereas I think the bar is lowering and people are weirdly getting used to things sounding like garbage on, on major, you know, uh, mainstream stuff. Well, my, what's blown me away during this is, and that's the thing I I focused on a lot during the thing was just saying, trying to ease their comfort of, look, if you're, Putting up a good content, good compelling stories, good interesting people, they're going to forgive as long as they can hear them. They're going to forgive bad audio. Oh, you know, not not perfect audio, not terrible audio. They'll forgive not great audio. But here's the thing that blows my mind is that when all this happened, a lot more of the you know CNN, ESPN, all these people are doing remote stuff who were already doing remote stuff before, and it was good quality. Why did the quality all of a sudden drop? Because they were having crews come to their house. Well, that, you know, but also a lot of, and they had area, you know, like satellite studios to go to and stuff like that. But there's that equipment. Like if you're, you know, CNN, if you're talking to, or even the local news stations, if you were having, you know, remote crews go to places, why can't you just mail some of this remote equipment to your people work from home? Yeah, a weathercaster may not be a tech expert, but somebody can FaceTime it and tell him how to put his camera up properly and turn it on. Or even just send him a decent microphone. Yeah, or and that's, that's the thing. I watched some of the um, Feeding America Comedy Festival thing, and I don't understand how they planned for this. They prepped for this. Why can they not have just sanitized a couple of good cameras and microphones and mailed them to Kenan Thompson or Tiffany Haddish ahead of time and then had somebody walk them through some of the things? Even the camera, like... You know, you can shoot 4K HD on your phone. It can look great. Just light it a little better. But that's mm-hmm. not even that's not even a big problem. It's it's the sound is garbage. They're using yeah. like shitty Bluetooth headphone mic, you know, hands free stuff. When you just freaking plug in a USB mic, like a hundred dollar mic, not even you could do an even cheaper one. Yeah. Uh, or you know something like I'm using like a blue icicle, which you could use easily with uh, um, a lav mic, like yeah. they would use in a studio, and just clip it on your freaking shirt. Like it's not that hard. Adam Savage has done I don't know a dozen episodes since the quarantine went in effect with just his iPhone and by himself. Yeah. You know? And he's he's recording B roll. He's doing everything, and it, it's weird that. Adam Savage has a YouTube channel and all his content since the quarantine has happened still looks a lot better than most of the professional entertainment companies. Yeah. And I think that's another change you'll see, like not, not that I'm making, you know, um, you know, top notch content video wise, but it's been fascinating to me who went to college for, you know, avid editing, which was a whole suite. I had to be in a, you know, in a, in a big closet, you know, I have a free program that I edit those dumb daily videos on and those are broadcast quality. Yeah. Uh, you know, content wise is arguable, but, but you know, they look <laughs> and sound and, and the editing ability is, is what anyone has anywhere. Yeah. And I think either may, a more people are realizing that not as maybe not as many as we'd like, uh, it, it, and a lot more people are realizing how 
how few people you need to make stuff. I've done three short films that I've submitted to like one minute film festivals, uh, shooting it with my phone, two of them I edited on the phone. And then one I used Premiere and I even used Premiere as like, you know, this might've been easier had I done, no, sorry, I edited one on the phone and then uh, two with Adobe Premiere, which is a pro level uh, uh, editing so- video editing software. I did two of them on it and at least one of the two, I was like, oh, should I just done this on my phone? It would've been quicker and easier, which it gives you a lot of capabilities. Like in one of them, I had to cry, uh, just this dumb video I did called Locked Out where I pretended. I've seen it. it. I've yeah. seen it. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I get Well, here's the, there's one visual effect that's in the whole thing besides like reverse video. I don't consider that an effect. There's one visual effect in there that nobody noticed. And that's, I left the door unlocked while I was outside because obviously I wasn't going to really lock myself out. So all right. I did was crop and mask a locked door into that frame. And no, it looks good enough. Nobody's going to know it. But it took me half a day to figure out how just to do that tiny little editing thing that nobody would have noticed had I not done. Nobody would have looked as like, no, nah, this, sorry, you broke the reality of this dumb comedy right. sketch by leaving the door unlocked. But if you had to do that again, it would take you a lot less time than half a day. Correct. Now you've learned how to do that. You know, hour, like yeah. I can do green screen at my house if I wanted to. If for some reason, you know, CNN was like, can we want to do a remote segment with you tonight? I could set up in here with three point lighting and a green screen and a decent mic in 20 minutes. And it'll look like the remote studios and sound like the remote studios they had pre pandemic. Yeah. Like that's easy to do. Yeah. It's easy to do. And it doesn't seem like they're trying just as somebody who's worked in the media industry. I, and what I hear from people in charge, I think the, they're doing that on purpose because they want that to that low quality to feel uh, relatable to the general audience. Like if somebody, I don't even on, know if it's that well thought out. I think it's just whatever's quick and easy and people don't care yeah. for the most part. Mo- honestly, most people don't care and don't notice Correct. Uh, that things, you know, sound like crap or, or look like crap. They just, they don't pay that much attention, yeah. which is the irony of this, where we have all the tools at our disposal that we didn't have five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago to make really high quality stuff. Whereas people's tolerance for low quality is increasing at the moment and the bar is getting lower. It's a very weird dynamic. Yeah. And our opinion of what is considered crap is much more sensitive than what everybody else is. Obviously when we hear, like if you can hear the room ambience, you and me and me will go, oh, that sounds terrible. You could have done something about that. Yeah. yeah. When you're, you're, you, you, where the rest of the world is like, they don't even notice. Like, uh, my roommate, Zach Jones, was watching, uh, I set up an HDMI so he can watch his laptop on the TV in the, um, in our living room. And he's been going through the Criterion collection. And we're sitting there just watching some foreign French film with all the, you know, it was Rafifi with all the subtitles yep. and everything in the Bible. And I'm just sitting there watching and I'm watching and I get up and I walk over to the laptop and I just move the cursor error off screen. I'm yeah. like, how does that not bother you? He goes, I, how does what not bother you? I'm like, the right. cursor error was not only visible, it was in the middle of the main character's forehead. How did you not oh, yeah. notice that? He goes, not a clue. Didn't you know well, it was Well, it's there. generational too. I mean, you have people who are used to watching movies on their phone when a movie was made to be projected at 70 feet tall. Yeah. You know, they're watching on a crappy phone with jittery Wi-Fi and they don't notice. So there's that too. But there's also weird content stuff. Like I am somewhat fascinated by people doing like Zoom stand-up shows, which seems absolutely silly to me and seems more for the benefit of the performers than an audience where I'm like, instead of developing 
a, a new skill set or presenting comedy or what you do creatively in a different way based on the situation. You're just trying to shove what you already did into a into a a format that doesn't work and not evolving or changing anything. And that's weird to me too. Uh, I think we'll, I, I, I had hoped for and anticipated some more innovation in the comedy world or really in the creative world at all, where people would do something that's sort of unique to the scenario. Um, that isn't just podcasts and isn't just, Hey, I'm doing stand up to nobody. It's yeah. it's really weird. I'm like, you have all these tools, you know, innovate it. Don't yeah. don't do a thing that's built to be in a live setting, just not live now. Yeah. It's weird. And as a guy who's doing three or four of those a week, um, they are not they are not the same. Um for me, it's methadone for performance, basically. Like it is because yeah. I, you know, I, I'm the typical de- definition of my mood is only as good as my last show. And even though one of these things, you know, they're not perfect, they're not great, it gets me through the next day, gets me through in a couple hours, whereas doing a good show to a great lo- audience that laughs a lot, that'll make me happy for three days. This makes me happy for half a day. It's for the performer, not yeah. for the audience. No, you're right. And well, there's and most of these, there's like I'm typically doing open mics. I'm not even trying to, to to go to comedy shows for audiences and stuff like that. I'm doing open mics where it's just us comedians. And one of the things that is a you do have to adapt your performance style to the medium as best as you can. It's not going to be perfect, but it's there. And I think it works better for me just because. My stage presence, my stage delivery is more like a guy at a party talking to a bunch of people. Like, that's how I always approach being on stage as if I'm at just at a party holding court. So in this medium, that style of delivery kind of works a little bit. Um, but again, you're right. It's more for me. And I've done a couple of like fundraiser ones for like raising money for PPE and stuff like that, which is like best I could do. And, uh, you know, it was, again, a way of me giving back. And again, partly for my own thing. You're not wrong in all, all that. But it's not even for the participants. It's like the producer, let's say, for lack of a better term, come up with a better format, come up with a better media, come up yeah. with a better innovation, and then give people that framework yeah. to do something interesting. And somebody actually did, um, and I tried it out, and I might do something more with them in the future, Rally.video. This is a comedian in Toronto, an open micer in Toronto, um, and an improviser who are friends and also code programmers created a new platform called rally.video where it's still this video format, but instead of it being a zoom meeting, there is a stage. So the video is spotlighted you're talking, but all the, everyone else's audio has been ducked under. So you could still hear them laugh. You could still hear, you know, you know, for better or worse, rustling around and talking and stuff like that, but you can still have an interaction. And that was somebody who went and saw that we needed a new platform. That was a better for live performance um and they did something about it and they and it's good i like it i hope it actually takes off for them um but unfortunately i don't know uh just as and this will be the last question and we'll, we'll let you get back to work um we'll let you go eat a quick lunch in the kitchen say hi to rachel and then go back to work uh but that's uh the thing is uh do you after all of this do you think we will still as performers still use some of the mediums and performance things that we're using in this day and age right now for this or do you think as soon as we're allowed to go back into comic clubs, all of this shit stops. Uh, I think that people won't use it as much as they should. I think that 
not all of this will stop, but I don't think you're going to get comedy clubs the way that we did. And uh, from a creative standpoint, I actually love that because <laughs> I think you're seeing a lot of laziness and a lot of people trying to do what they did before this in new formats and you're seeing the cracks that already existed. You're seeing the weaknesses in that model and it should uh, sort of weed out the bad people <laughs> and the people who are good, it'll make them innovate and do something more interesting. Now, from a business standpoint, I get that that's devastating and people are out of work, but at the same time, they had an outdated business model. So we might see some innovation. I don't think it, you're not, it's not going to go back to the way it was. That's good. And that's bad. Um, creatively. I think it's good. Uh, business wise. I think it's bad. I, I'm hoping that this whole pandemic create, it was going to make all those creative types more creative and hope the cream rise to the top. Whereas I'm more worried that the most talented people are going to get discouraged and will fall out of the industry. While as the dedicated, untalented people, which seems like the people who are more dedicated in industry are the ones, in my opinion, are the ones who probably shouldn't be in the, in, in the industry. But I think, I think that it's not, they won't be able to because there isn't an industry. They can't just go out and, and do the bare minimum, open my garbage, I'm going to book this crap and promote the hell out of it kind of thing. They It won't exist. It doesn't exist. You're not going to be able to ambush people in a bar with a crappy bar show because you're not going to have a full bar of people for the foreseeable future. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to have casinos. You're not going to have those, those crutches that people who are not very talented are able to rely on. You're going to have to have people do something innovative, something interesting that can pull eyes away from other mainstream audience stuff that can make people notice. And so you will have creative people who are very good rising back to the top or, or evolving a bit. And you'll have people that may have gotten squashed down or burned out because of the clicky um, vestigial stand-up garbage yeah. that will now be burned off and they won't even have to deal with it. They'll be able to do something interesting and creative that no one would have thought of before where they would not have had that road in the past. So I think that they'll be, they'll, I actually feel like it's a good thing. <laughs> I love how our cynicism made us think that this pandemic is going to raise the bar in comedy. Like that's the optimistic cynicism in both of us. <laughs> well, for creativity, I think for sure. Yeah. I don't think, you know, uh, topic wise or like, Oh, the suffering will create all this incredible art. Like in that way, I think just from a practical standpoint, you'll have people who are more creative or innovative that will, that will come up with stuff. Yeah. You heard it here first. The pandemic is going to thin the herd, both yeah. health-wise and talent-wise. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. For sure. All right, Ken. Uh, it was good talking to you. Uh, it was good also seeing your face because we did this through a video chat. Uh, and it's nice to actually see what the uh, TV Guidance Counselor studio actually looks like because <laughs> it's always I have I you know I see pictures because we're friends. We you post things yeah. on social media. Have you ever been here? Uh, no, like I've never been to your house yet. Oh, well, you'll have to if we don't all die. Yeah, no, yeah, I'll I'll come in full uh, nuclear um, uh, space age. Um, what do you call wear. bubble wear? Yeah, no, I'll be the bubble boy. I'll be John Travolta yeah. from that that bubble boy movie. I'll come in a, in one of those bouncy rooms uh, that's surrounded by me. Fair uh, enough. Yeah, and so it's nice seeing what the the studio and everything looks like, other than just you know the occasional picture. 
um, on social media. It was great talking to you because this was very uplifting when it comes to the healthcare industry to know that there is people out there that are actually trying to do good because all we hear is doom and gloom from the industry. Um, and it's great to know that even when you're not recording yourself, the dogs still bark in the background. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. And uh, before we get out of here, where can people find all of your stuff? Uh, just, you can just search and read or TV guidance counselor. It's TV guidance counselor.com at TV guidance. That kind of stuff. We read all the stuff, there all the go. stuff. All right, cool. Thanks a lot, bud. Thanks. Thanks.